Hi, everyone. This is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome back to another episode of DC Power Hour. We are excited to talk about a topic very important here in the summertime. And uh, we've got Alan along with us, and he's kind of, uh, he's got a new co-host today, and um, he he might want to explain to you what happened to uh, George today. I mean, George is okay, but we've got a stand-in for George. So good morning, Alan. What's going on? Hey, good morning, uh yeah, George uh, kind of backed out at the last minute because uh, he preferred to do something his boss told him to do rather than join us folks here. But anyway, I've got a gentleman online who's been on the program before. We have a lot in common besides the same first name, but uh, I've known Al Warner for, oh, maybe 30 years, Al. And uh, we have another thing in common is that we're both opinionated. and. Uh, We've worked together and we've worked not apart, but I've worked for companies that Al's worked for and we got to know each other quite well. But anyway, uh, Al's a able stand in for George and we're going to talk about the topic you introduced, uh, how reliable is the electric grid? Well, I've certainly got my opinions on it and I would rather say how unreliable is the electric grid, but I'm going to let Al lead off here and just give a an overview and his opinions on the whole subject. Well, thanks, Alan. But, you know, like you said, we're both opinionated and uh, that opinion, opinionation comes with a, a lot of experience in the industries in both power and DC power, AC power, backup power systems, you name it. So we have formed some opinions and uh, those opinions are not really formulated by people today who are new to this topic they because they have no background they don't understand what we're talking about with grid reliability very good friend of mine john gray who heads up the uh, schneider electric innovation center in st louis or o'fallon missouri and i put it the electric grid today is like playing grid jenga if you pull out specific pieces of the grid it all falls down. It's the collapsing tower syndrome. And we know that from what happened in Texas with the, the ice storm. And it's continuing to happen all around us. And people are blaming it on global warming and all this other stuff. But that's technically not true. It's not just global warming. Climate change has always been continuous throughout the history of the Earth, through our geological history through history from everybody says, well, we're in a global warming. The glaciers are all going to melt. The sea sea levels are going to drown New York. That's not happening. I don't think so. Do you, Alan? No, but uh, you're right in certain respects. Uh, Yeah, we do have a background in uh, all sorts of power backup systems. You were the wavy line guy, and I was the Mm -hmm. straight line guy. And Maybe some of the folks listening will understand what we're talking about, but Al was yeah. the AC guy and I was the DC guy. Well, the and AC we, doesn't work. Uh, when when the AC goes away, you need the DC guys to keep things going. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very true. But what you said about uh, global warming, that's certainly up for debate. And uh, so is greenwashing. But mm-hmm. you hit on something that uh, last year in Texas in the winter, they had a catastrophe, basically. Whatever, what could go wrong went wrong. Now, they, they've been hustling down in Texas to try and improve things. And I saw a thing on the news the other day. It says that uh, because of the record summer heat, the power generating capacity was really pushed. So they managed to switch in some wind and some solar power. Well, the lucky thing was that the wind and solar power was available. Now, if it had not been available, what would have happened? We'd have the same old thing again. So uh, 
they were bragging that because of their solar and wind generation capacity, you know, they were out of the water, but that really wasn't the case. But I'd like to go into, and I'll bring you into the conversation, is that the reliance on renewable energy. To me, it's a religion with some people. Uh, you rightly said, uh, Al, you know, people were greenwashed. But uh, in my opinion, we killed a horse and wagon before we invented the car here. In other words, here's all this renewable energy stuff. But they hadn't looked at the whole picture and said, well, how are we going to transition this? You know, what's the, uh, how do we do this? What's the, what's the game plan here? And I think that's where it's all failed. And Al, I don't know if you heard me or not, but what's your, uh, what's your opinion on that? You know, we said we killed a horse and cart before we invented the car. Seems to be the same thing with uh, renewable energy and fossil fuel plants. Well, the renewable energy thing, I mean, it's it's most interesting, uh, the amount of misinformation that's been promoted in the last 10 to 5 years about renewables and their reliability and Texas proved they're not reliable. Anybody that lives in the northern tier of states where we have snow in the winter, those solar panels get covered with snow. They are not generating any electricity until you shovel the snow off or somebody goes out there and pushes it off. And the same thing is true of wind. It never blows all the time. And it's never blowing at the right speed all the time. I mean, sometimes we're in Tornado Alley up here in Wisconsin, and those wind systems shut down, or you see failed wind systems that towers are actually ripped down and laying on the ground. So to say that these are a reliable energy source is a far stretch of the imagination. They can contribute, but they also have negative environmental consequences. You cannot cover 2,000 acres of land with solar panels where you once grew corn. And that's what they want to do here in Wisconsin. They take 2,000 acres of production soil where it's growing corn for food and other or soybeans and convert it to solar energy. And the sun doesn't shine all the time. We get cloudy days uh, where we're without sun for a week or we get snowstorms where you get 12 inches or 24 inches of snow. Those solar farms are not going to work. And but. It's all good. It's all political. And all of the politicians in Washington buy into it. And it's been greenwashed so heavily on the internet that it's crazy. We can't got, do this. It's crazy. I got to agree with you, Al. And before we go on to the electrical grid reliability, but my, my concern about some of these, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for renewable energy if it works. but. Uh, hydro is a good example of stuff that, that works. But uh, people seem to think that the you know, solar and wind have a great impact on the environment in the way that they work. But they, they, they don't consider, you know, how do you make those solar panels? And they don't consider, you know, how do you make those turbines and how do you get those big wind blades up there on top of the turbine and everything else. And we come to find that you can't recycle solar panels at the moment. And you know what they advise you to do? Put them in the landfill. Mm -hmm. You can't recycle turbine blades. They're suggesting that you bury them. So, and I guess if you were to look at the overall from manufacturer to actually placing them in the field, you're not going to save much on energy if you save anything at all. People forget about having to bring these turbine blades in from probably Norway or somewhere like that, then transport them on gasoline-burning, diesel-burning vehicles, uh, get them up to the top of the uh, mast on a, using a crane that's burning fossil fuel, turbines themselves. How do you lubricate them? lubricate them with oil. 
you know, and then I could go through the same scenario for the solar panels. But uh, that, that, that's enough on that. I uh, just wanted to make sure. Hey, Alan, I think those are great points. I wanted to just jump in because looking at what's going on in Europe now too, you know, you talk about building the, not building the cart before we get rid of the, the horse. I mean, we are, or not building the car before we get rid of the horse. There's a problem there with Russia and the oil supply. And now like Germany has to now go back and start reopening some of these fossil fuel plants, correct? And and I think there's a great example there that we're just, we're not ready for it. That's very true. And I was going to talk about that later, but uh, everybody's blaming everything on Russia at the moment. Well, some of that blame is uh, deflecting other problems. And like Al and I, when we were working with a particular company, you try to plan for all eventualities. Well, clearly all eventualities haven't been planned for, but uh, you're right. Uh, some people are having to, uh, some countries are having to rethink the whole thing. And uh, the same is going to happen in the United States here, I think. Uh, so, uh, Al, you had uh, offline, we talked about the impact of uh, electric vehicles on the, the grid. So, so we're, we're looking here at the loading on the grid, how the loading on the grid is increasing mm-hmm. and uh, what effect that's got to have. So, maybe you could comment on that. Well, I I just read a really interesting article. Uh, uh, I believe it was out there on LinkedIn, or maybe it came up in my Facebook feed. But GM is projecting they're going to sell 2 million EVs by 2025. And those EVs require charging. And they aren't the only company building these, Tesla, everybody else. The charger ratings that these systems require to recharge in a reasonable amount of time are humongous. They are not something that's really easy for the average person to phantom that if I want fast recharge, I've got to have a 250 kilowatt charger for one vehicle. If I take 10 of them, that's two and a half megawatts. This is a problem for the electrical grid. It cannot support this kind of instantaneous step loads, so to speak. Everybody gets home at five o'clock in the afternoon in LA and plugs in their electric vehicle to recharge it. It's going to collapse the grid, the local grids. Take uh, urban areas where your home, you're sharing that home with a common transformer with your neighbors. Maybe five of your neighbors are on the same 100 kW transformer, whatever the rating is. Like my home here in rural Wisconsin, I've got a 10 kVA transformer sitting out here on the power pole. That's going to limit what I'm going to charge at. What is the cost of electricity to charge that EV when I'm charging it overnight or charging it during the day? It could vary. I don't know. They're getting very creative at how they're billing these systems and how they're marketing them. And they're marketing them mostly through greenwashing. But they don't understand that that electricity has to come from somewhere. And the recent Supreme Court ruling really throws things into a tizzy because the EPA has been after the coal plants. They have been actively pursuing more and more stringent regulations on coal power generation. In the meantime, China, China is probably one of the biggest coal electrical energy generators in the world. And now you look at also oil and gas. And I saw a recent uh, map of the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf of Arabia, where most of the oil is coming from, most of those tankers, this was a tanker map of where the oil tankers were going. And they're all going to Asia. Very few of them are headed toward Europe. So Asia is buying a whole lot of hydrocarbons. And they know that they can't rely on these intermittent renewables because the populations are growing. We we have a problem in we have greenwashed ourselves into a crisis and our electrical grids aren't ready for it. They aren't designed for this kind of added usage. Yeah. 
You're right, Al. And you're closer to home here. I, I noticed that some electrical utilities are going so far as to start offering rebates. If you cut down on your electric consumption or if you only use it at certain times of day and everything else. Uh, so that shows you how worried they are. You know, mm-hmm. in the old days, uh, we used to have brownouts, and which were pretty common. But because of uh, the type of modern loads they have, you know, they don't tolerate brownouts so well. So, you know, you get motors overheating and transformers overheating and things like that with brownouts. Mm-hmm. So now the blackout is more common and what they call rolling blackouts is becoming common where they actually cut power to a whole area from a substation or something like that. So we're going to be faced with this. And the the big counter argument is that, well, we can put in energy storage. Okay. How do you do that? Batteries, big batteries. How do you manufacture those batteries? Using fossil fuel products, using uh, minerals, rare earth minerals that are hard to get, probably cause more pollution in the mining of them and cause more deaths than ever been caused by a power plant, fossil fuel power plant in North America. Nobody takes this into consideration. So, and you know, the, the grid is vulnerable and I just want to, nobody has a game plan. What are we going to do about it? They're shutting down coal plants, coal burning plants, even wood burning plants, uh, left, right, and center. And people forget that these days a coal burning plant, a modern coal burning plant, or one that has been modernized, they have scrubbers and everything to take care of a lot of the pollution. And the actual pollution from a coal plant is only about a tenth as it was 20, 30 years ago. But nobody understands this. That doesn't get publicity. It's not on the political agenda. So that's my rant on that, Al. And if you'd like to agree or continue or go on your own rant, I'd welcome it. Well, that that thing about the coal plants today and how how actually low pollution they are, that's an inconvenient truth to the greenwashers. So they, they always point back to 40 years ago coal plants, not coal plants today, which the EPA is pushed to this level, and okay, they're they're working. They these are not the coal plants in China. China is going huge for coal. So, if you're saying U.S. coal plants are a, a problem for global CO2, global environment, you're absolutely wrong. China is a problem. China needs to be held back. But how do you hold back China? You can't. So what do we do here in the United States where we've been forced by politicians and these policies that we're going into an energy crisis because no nuclear plants are coming online. And everybody I know that are very knowledgeable in these issues say, we need nuclear power. We need it because it's as green as we can get. Well, oh, you've got radiation. You've got inter- uh, storage of the spent fuel. That is a minor problem. No American that I can think of has died from a nuclear accident here in the United States. Also, the modern micronuclear plants that they are experimenting with and even develop some in Europe, they're very, very safe. In actual yeah. fact, I heard that some of the fuel they're using in, in these uh, reactors uh, is more, when I hate to use the word, but more environmentally friendly in that it doesn't require the same precautions that you did with spent fuel from the old-style nu- nuclear reactors. Now, mm. you, you mentioned uh, you know, Europe. You know, Germany's a basket case at the moment because it cut down its all this coal plants is not getting power from Russia, and consequently, they're having to scramble and even buy power from other countries. But France is a completely different ballgame. Why is France not susceptible to the close down of, power, of coal 
fossil fuel plants as Germany is, because France, France probably relies about for 80, 70, 80% of its electricity on nuclear plants. So, you know, that's the difference. Absolutely. That's the difference. Absolutely. That's the difference there. But uh, let's look at the uh, reliability of the grid from the transmission and distribution perspective. The grid in this country, oh, I don't know, Al. A lot of it's, what, 50, 60 years old. Some of it doesn't have the capacity uh, to transmit the amount of power that is being asked for it. There's a great work being done by NERC and FERC on the interconnectability of the various grids and uh, transmission distribution systems, but uh, it's still very vulnerable. And I, to, I noticed in California uh, where the transmission lines were really susceptible to fires, mm-hmm. uh, caused a lot of the problems last year, the year before. Well, you know, some of that was self-inflicted, I think, because the uh, environmentalists, and I'm a bit of an environmentalist myself, and I know you are, Al, but the environmentalists wouldn't let them create sufficient fire breaks along the transmission lines. So that was an accident waiting to happen. But I noticed now that they are looking at a multi-million billion dollar projects to bury those uh, transmission lines. That's probably a step in the right direction. And, uh, but they, you know, we're a little bit different from Europe. Uh, in Europe, a lot of the, uh, the transmission is underground. Here, oh, I'll probably say 99% of it is overground, certainly in my neighborhood. And uh, every storm that comes through, I can probably expect a blackout. So much so, I've got my own generator. I live in a little bit of a rural area, but, uh, you know, if, if I have problems here uh, in a very progressive city in Maryland, Frederick, Maryland, and we have blackout problems, what's it, what's it going to be like when the load is increased, as you said, Al, with electric vehicles, not only electric vehicles, look at the 20 years ago, I didn't have air conditioning. I do now, but that's really increased the loading on my house. So all my neighbors are doing the same thing. So, you know, we're just loading up the grill, loading it up. And it's not, in my opinion, uh, resilient enough uh, to do the work it's been asked to do. Uh, How do we fix that? You know, to run new transmission lines is not an easy task. With all sorts of government regulations, environmental regulations, right of way regulations, how do we do? What, what do we do, Al? You know, what, what can be done about it? It's really boils down to a political nightmare between controlling authorities, whether it's states, counties, cities, environmentalist groups, to build new transmission lines is a major, major problem for most of the country. And this country really needs a brand new backbone. If these people are serious about the future being electrical, we need a whole new backbone. It needs to be built by itself, not piecemealed together like our electrical grid is today. I mean, it it all started out in uh, uh, Green Bay and Niagara. Niagara Falls and Green Bay, and it's been built out from that. One of the first generation stations was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And Niagara Falls was one of the biggest that did the whole thing in 100 years ago. So what are, what are we going to do with this view that everything's going to become electric? If we don't build the right backbone, we have no chance of it ever working. Right now, our, our grids are pushed to their maximum, local grids. They have grid ties. All of these are exposed. There's this initiative from Washington for you know digital control of the grid to bounce the, the resources. That may work, but it also list some big exposures from hackers that can go in and just shut down things and cascade the whole thing like they did with the pipeline out on the East Coast. So 
we need a very reliable grid if we're going to this green energy future. And I don't see it being here. Not probably not in my life. Well, you're certainly right about cybersecurity. And, uh, you know, that's becoming very, very important. A little bit too much too late, I think, because uh, I've been literally hundreds of power plants. Latter part of my career, uh, probably one power plant a week. But anyway, the, the equipment in there, and the power plant was aging themselves, the generation plant, generating plants was aging. The equipment in the substations was aging. But a lot of it was manufactured, guess where? Asia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's to stop? You know, I, I think they are making a serious effort to uh, only have homegrown uh, digital microprocessor-based equipment in the power plants. But you know, how long is that going to take? As you rightly said, Al, you know, some spotty-faced kid with a computer could probably hack into most of the control systems and uh, do nasty things and make it think it's fun. But, you know, it's not the spotty-faced kids we're worried about, but it's the, uh, the politicians and, and countries that are not so friendly to us. But uh, you hit on one thing, Al, there. I'd like to turn the conversation a little bit. We talked about transmission lines getting power from A to B. For me here in Maryland, it's probably transmission lines coming from somewhere in the Alleghenies or out in West Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, where the coal is plenty. But we need to move the generation facilities closer to the consumer. That would cut down the amount of transmission we'd have to do. How do we do that? Well, what about those micronuclear plants? You know, it makes a lot of sense to, uh, to do that to, uh, next to a major city, have uh, several micronuclear plants spotted around the place. Uh, I'm not saying they're even going to let it happen, but these nuclear generation plants are the same, exact same uh, architecture and same thing that you get on a nuclear submarine. Now, Al, how many real accidents people have been killed on nuclear submarines as a result of radiation or problems for a nuclear reactor? I know you're going to say, what are you going to say, Al? I I can't think of any. I mean, we have nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. We have all these military nuclear-powered ships that, uh, if there was a safety concern, it would be readily apparent to anybody out there. So there are ways to design safe system. The French nuclear reactors are very different than the reactors that we currently have in safety. And that's why France is so reliable on nuclear energy. So it's it's a problem that people are so ingrained the anti-nuclear whatever you want to call it, movement. It's It's been continuous since the first nuclear plant, and it's all hype. It's, it's pushing, it's putting out misinformation about nuclear. Oh, uh, Japan, the accident with the typhoon at Fukushima. Well, if you build a nuclear plant on the coast of an island in the South Pacific and you have typhoons and you don't expect that typhoon to have some impact on that plant. Okay. We build systems like going underground. Everybody looks like going underground is safe distribution practice. Is it safe in California where you have earthquakes and fault lines that could rip the conductors apart or underground? I look at 30 plus years ago back at best power here in Wisconsin. We had an underground power feed from Dairyland Power with a hydro plant on the Mississippi River. And it went underground from Boston, Wisconsin to Nacito, Wisconsin, which is about 12 miles, and fed our plant at best power. Those cables, because of the cable construction, the soils were corrosive to the cables, and we had underground faults that caused outages. 
And the company management at that time looked at it and went, man, we're out of power until they fix this underground cable. We, we can't produce products. We can't ship. We can't even talk to customers. This is a problem for us. What do we do? We built our own transmission line from the hydro dam at Highway 21 on Petenwell and Castle Rock Light direct to the plant and put in a, a substation switchyard. So we had two hydro feeds to that plant. It, they still exist today they, uh, because of the criticality. So there's a lot of talk about energy storage. Yeah, that's fine. That's uh, a good thing. But once again, you're, where do you put this energy storage? Mm-hmm. You're not going to put it in the middle of New York City or Chicago. So, you know, it's going to be, you're going to have to, Get that energy storage. They're using it for load leveling, as you know, Al, and mm-hmm. to supplement the grid. But, you know, if you have a problem with the grid, does it matter how much energy storage you have? If they, it's if, worthless, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, is that a false sense of security? Did you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no problem with energy storage. I think it's a good idea. But, uh, you know, it's not, the, it's not the answer to everything. Well, I don't think today, I mean, everybody looks at energy storage and says, well, lithium is the way to go. Lead acid is old school. I I don't think there's one right answer to the equation myself, Alan. I mean, look at this this new GM EV. They are using what they call an ultium lithium battery pack, which is essentially, I think they're partnering with LG and producing a very long pouch cell that is stiffened by aluminum to keep it more stable. But that again, those lithium cells, where do you get the cobalt? Where where do you get this all this energy storage? There may be somebody, I mean, I'm fully supportive of energy storage research, but I can't say that lithium is better than lead acid for a lot of applications. And likewise, I can't say that lead acid is better than lithium for a lot of applications or any other storage technology. We've got uh, new zinc metal, zinc batteries on the market. Those have a niche. Uh, people wanted to use uh, you know, compressed air, just compress the air in a, a salt cavern and then release the compressed air and spin a turbine and generate electricity. Well, okay. I don't I don't think I'd want my house next to one of those. This got to be pretty loud when they do that. But we we need to be realistic about energy storage, about the grid and what the grid can do today and what it definitely can't do. And what it can't do is accept this big push we have for EVs. There is no way the grid can support recharging these EVs. It just absolutely can't work. Well, so, you're talking about uh, battery technologies, Al. Uh, you know, lithium is at the forefront, and you know, I'm I'm a a lead head, and mm-hmm. you know, lead's not dead, but uh, you know, lithium no. has a lot lot to offer. But the problem is, there's so many different lithium technologies these days that I've lost track of some of them. You know, it's almost going into a like going into a you know, a pizza shop and you could buy 10 different things, 20 different things to choose from. But uh, there are other technologies that are coming along. Uh, the, I think, believe that they, you know, lithium was so heavily subsidized uh, by government money, uh, by various agendas that, uh, you know, it got all the publicity and got, got the acceptance. And people were going, whoa, it's not really safe, is it? And uh, fair enough, it's got a little bit safer, but uh, I don't hear too many things about uh, various like nickel cadmium or lead acid storage plants going on fire, getting on fire. But uh, I hear every day about a, a new lithium storage facility or electric vehicles or, you know, it's just uh, why do we keep why do we keep going down this route here? You know, other people are coming up with battery technologies that show promise. But, you know, to do this, you need money. And uh, lithium's like a magnet. 
uh, that's where all the money's going. Uh, so it's going to be a slow process. I do believe we'll come up with something, uh, other battery technologies. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, some of the zinc technologies, solid-state batteries, uh, bipolar batteries. But uh, the problem is that we have at, you know, at, at the moment is there's not a lot of research going into some of these new technologies. And the uh, other thing is that they don't really look at the whole science behind the construction of lithium batteries. You mentioned the cobalt and manganese and everything else, Al. You know, that has to come from somewhere. But uh, with, with energy storage, it's fine, but you, you, we're going to have to come up with something else that is nearer the consumer. A couple of things that show promise. One is tidal storage. That's showing great promise. And it's actually it's functioning in several areas. And what they do is they, uh, those areas that ports, for instance, docks that have reasonable tidal movement, they're, they're even putting data centers in some of them, Al, you know, mm-hmm. to, to utilize the, uh, the tidal effect of generating power. So I think that shows great promise. But I, I do worry. I worry for my kids. You know, what, what's going to happen? And like all good kids that have gone to college these days, my kids are no different. You know, they, they've been indoctrinated and uh, they don't see the alternatives. All they want to do is plow ahead and with the greenwash stuff and, you know, get that electric vehicle as soon as they can. I tell them you're not charging it in my house because <laughs> I, I'm too vulnerable. But anyway. Talking about money and the infrastructure and what we can do to improvement. I mean, there's a, what is it, a $65 billion infrastructure bill that I'm not hearing anything about anymore. I mean, there was, it was big news a few months ago. And uh, we kind of talked about this on an earlier episode. But, you know, Al or Alan, have you guys heard what's the latest? And is there, is there any promise here to, like we said, build some new transmission lines, do some, some good with uh, improving our, our infrastructure? I haven't really heard anything. Uh, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors in the first place, in my opinion. And it was all labeled under the heading of infrastructure improvements. But they didn't really tell you what they were going to do. And uh, like all uh, boondoggles, I won't really call it boondoggles now, but, but with, with all government projects or government promises, you know, it's uh, whoever cries the hardest gets a larger share of the money. and. Uh, you know, that's not going to be rural America, that's for sure. So it's not going to be Wisconsin, Al. You know, it's- no, for sure. That that's absolutely <laughs> true. I mean, I, I liken the uh, the problem we have today, Alan, with the uh, with the electrical infrastructure to, to the same problem we have with our transportation infrastructure. It's totally inadequate. I mean, here today in Wisconsin, we have the interstate system, I-90, 94, which comes right through the middle part of the state, cuts west, goes to La Crosse, and from Chicago, and then to Minneapolis. That interstate was built in the late 1950s, early 60s. And it's still four lanes, two lanes going each way, carrying 2022 traffic. It's a traffic nightmare out there with all the semis. And we we have not designed the infrastructure to accommodate this increased traffic. And it's, it's a problem today right here in downtown Wisconsin. The same thing is true of our electrical infrastructure. It's not designed to support the load that it's being asked to carry. And all of the greenwashing, all the hype from Washington, it's not going to fix it. It's up to the people to say, enough is enough. When are you going to fix this? What is the plan? Nobody has a plan. I, I haven't seen one. Not to fix the infrastructure of our transportation system, the problem with uh, you know, the trains, our rail systems. The rail system is probably the most economical way to transport goods, but the trucking industry took over and the prices were so low. But now with the price of fuel, train transport uh, uh, transport of goods, 
is becoming more more competitive, I think. But the electrical system, it needs a major overhaul. We cannot put all of this load from these EVs on the system and believe that these intermittent alternative energy systems, wind, solar, are going to handle that load for us. I'm all for distributed energy resources. If you can put in a little, you know, solar system or a wind system, but these systems have environmental impacts that people conveniently ignore. Windmills kill birds. In fact, down in uh, Missouri, there's one wind site that they shut down at night because they of the rare bats that are in the area. They have to shut those windmills down at night, whether the wind's blowing or not. They're required to shut them down. We see wind systems here in in Wisconsin. Windmills, we have them all over the state. And when you're driving down the road, all you got to do is look at the blades. You'll see the blood from the geese and the eagles and the other birds that are killed by these systems. Then we have the solar systems, which consume acreage of land that is not supporting wildlife or producing food. It's producing a very intermittent energy resource because of our climate here. We're not in Saudi Arabia where the sun shines bright every day of the week and we only get rain one day a year. So to say these intermittent renewables are the answer to our problems, I don't think so. We've got to look beyond them. That's a great comparison, Al. You know, the uh, interstate system, uh, the Eisenhower interstate system, and uh, the the rail network. Uh, Unfortunately, the rail network... uh, has been let go into decay as well. Very short-sighted, I think. I've driven across country and many at west, as they say, and everything, everything west of the Mississippi. You see, in, in, in the flat country, uh, you see these rail uh, tracks with uh, diesel locomotives, about five or six diesel locomotives hauling about two miles off uh, containers. You know, which they eventually will load onto a vehicle and in Baltimore or Chicago or wherever. It's a very, very efficient way of doing it, but it's aging. And your example about the interstate is aging as well. We, we've got the nation's largest parking lot here. It's called the Washington Beltway. And uh, the, uh, the other thing is that, you know, the, I've, I've driven through Kansas. Uh, if you want to get bored, drive through Kansas. Uh, nothing. I, I love the people from Kansas. It's a nice state. But if you want to get bored, drive through Kansas. And they have wind farm after wind farm after wind farm. And 95% of the turbines are not turning. Whether there's no wind or that they're not working or what, you know, I don't know. But uh, there's a, you know, being a, several years ago, I was a, on an island on the west coast of, sorry, off, off, the, off the east coast of New Hampshire. It was an island that uh, was run by the University of New Hampshire. It was a research facility, and they were completely self-sufficient. Most of the power was uh, developed by, uh, produced by diesel generators, but they also had a solar farm there, and they also had a wind farm, or actually a wind farm of, of one turb- wind turbine. And they, when I looked at the wind turbine, one of the blades was painted black. And what they were doing was they were doing research to see if that, and it looked promising that that was reducing the number of bird strikes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what happened to that, but you don't see many. I don't haven't seen any turbines in my travels that have one of the blades. Yeah, you know, make, makes sense to me, you know, painted black. But anyway, if we're back to the thing of, you know, the vulner, vulnerability. In my in my mind, the way you could run that is. Start from scratch again, basically. But uh, this time, uh, develop the generation plants, whether they're uh, nuclear or just clean-burning coal, clean-burning wood. A lot of coal plants were uh, modified to be wood-burning plants, especially southern Virginia and places that where they had 
But the, the words that they were burning was not the words that you and I think of. It goes into framing houses and things like that. But this was the shavings of the bark, mm-hmm. the bark shavings of all the uh, trees that they fell. So you, you weren't actually felling trees to create the wood for these word, word burning plants. But we have to get the generation plants near the users. And uh, I don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, we have to upgrade the infrastructure. I don't know where the money has gone or where the money's going from the, uh, the infrastructure bill. Uh, you've mentioned it, David. I'll take it upon myself to find out where is that, where is that money going? Follow the money. I, I don't mm-hmm. sure hold any promise to find that out, but uh, that's my opinion. And I, I'd like Al just to summarize everything and then well. maybe we'll... Uh, save the world in some other form. No. Well, I think that the, your comment, uh, Alan, about the, uh, the wood-burning generation plants or biomass-burning generation is a very interesting one. But I think what people fail to realize with those systems is that the energy density of the biomass that they're dealing with has no comparison to coal. Yeah. Coal is a much more energy dense source of to generate power by saying, well, we're going to we're going to cut down trees. Well, trees are actually CO2 sequestering all the plants on Earth. They they suck CO2 out of the atmosphere and put it into their biomass. That biomass got buried hundreds of millions of years ago and turned into coal, which we're using today. If we cut down all these forests or we convert land that should be growing plants, which will help reduce the CO2 level, which I don't think is dangerous, but the the climate change people have all hinged on this one and a half degrees Celsius uh, thing with CO2 levels that they're unrealistic. Nobody's been able to explain to me exactly why the CO2 levels started to rise in 1972-71 timeframe. That's when the charts go up. What happened? It wasn't because we weren't burning coal or using fossil fuels from the 1880s up to 1972. Something else changed, if that data is correct. Or has that data been deliberately manipulated and, and used as a political tool? I think it's mostly greenwashing and politics. Follow the money. So there it is, Alan. They, they, the other thing about, uh, I hadn't thought about it, but that date uh, you mentioned, Al, maybe it's something to do with the increase in the use of electricity. You know, it's, that's vastly increased over the last 50 years. Uh, so, you know, it, it may be something related to that. But however, mm-hmm. I, you know, th- this has been, uh, I don't want our listeners to think that uh, we're really against uh, new forms of generating energy. But uh, you know, to be, let's be, to be fair to everybody, you know, if they want to contact the, the eagle eye and let their opinions be known and refute some of the things that we've said, mm-hmm. yeah. I'd really welcome that. And uh, maybe we can have another program where we're, bring on a, somebody that will create a fair and balanced uh, narrative. Uh, that's if we can get somebody. But uh, mm-hmm. maybe that's something for the future. Uh, I'd love well, to participate in that, and I'm sure you would as well, Al. Oh, yeah. And uh, going back to the 1972 issue, it, I don't think it's just one thing. I think it's multiple things that happened at the same time. The increased uh, digital world that we slowly went into where now we have these huge data centers today. There was also the introduction of the catalytic converters to the automotive market. And catalytic converters today are a big hot theft item because of the, the metals that are embedded in them. There's the mining of those metals and stuff like that. Are those the contributing factors? I don't think CO2 is the culprit. I think it's other things, but that's just me. And that, that's uh, maybe 
food for another program. So I'm going to hand it back to you, Dave, and if you have any uh, concluding remarks. But we certainly look forward to uh, constructive criticism. We look forward to the other point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I, I think I know I appreciate the fact that it's a really realistic point of view. And no one's trying to say there's one thing that's better than the other or one thing's going to work and another thing isn't. It's it's let's look at all the technologies. Let's look at all the options. Let's look at all the alternative energy sources. And let's be realistic about what we're really trying to do and, and all of the environmental impacts that maybe go without being said. And uh, and we need to take a look at everything and put it on the table. So I think you guys do offer a very fair opinion in that regards. And, uh, you know, I guess the as summer is here and the, the temperatures are heating up and, and outages are definitely on the rise and, and we have to be prepared for them. Like you said, Alan, we need to look at backup power. You know, that's what we, we offer at Eagle Eye. And, and from a residential standpoint, I know that I am uh, in the market for, uh, for some sort of backup power supply myself. And um, in the meantime, until we get our act together, I think we have to take it upon ourselves to, to make sure we're prepared as individuals. So thanks again, guys. And I'm sure we will have more opportunities to talk about some of these topics. And uh, like you said, Alan, we, we look forward to anyone who wants to chime in to the discussion and, and join us. So thanks, gentlemen. As always, have a great day. Hey, you too. Take care, Alan. Have Up. fun. Yes, and uh, enjoy the 4th of July, guys. Oh, for sure. God bless America. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.